Welcome to Truth Seeing Mamas. I'm Carissa. And I'm Christian. We are both pastor's wives and mamas who are seeking truthful accounts of what it looks like for believers to have faithful endurance in real life. We hope that these conversations not only touch your heart, but also encourage you to have genuine community with other believers. We believe we can't truly be all God called us to be unless we embrace a biblical and meaningful community with our church bodies. Welcome to Truth Seeking Mamas. We are so glad you're here. Hey friends, thanks for coming back again this week. Today, I have an awesome pleasure to share with you a very special conversation I had with my mom, Robin, and my aunt, Amy. They share about what their grief journey has looked like the past five years after losing both of their parents in a very short amount of time. This podcast episode for me, which is very touching because I have been on the front row of their grief journey in a way, and who they are is just a testament to how good the Lord is. And so I would like to dedicate this episode to my sweet grandparents, Brenda and John, also known as Mia and Pop. Thanks for coming back, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey friends, welcome to Truth Seeking Mamas. We're so excited for you to be here today. I have two very special guests with me today. I'm joined by my mom and my aunt, and they're going to share with us a season um, that's been pretty hard that they've both walked through together, and I hope that you all enjoy this conversation today. Would you both like to share a little bit about yourselves? This is your very first podcast. My very first podcast performance, yes, yes, or interview. And I'm Amy. I'm Carissa's aunt, and I teach school, work with small children. This is my first podcast also. And they are so gracious that they were willing to sit down with me and talk about a tough season that you both have walked through within the last almost five years, Mm -hmm. almost five years. So uh, about five years ago, would you all like to share what happened that kind of changed both of your lives and like, okay, well then I guess I'll start. Uh, (laughs) um so our mom was our daddy's caregiver and one night she called and she said that she had fallen and um she hurt herself and she needed to go to the hospital so took her to the hospital she had broken her ribs and during that fall she also um developed fluid on her brain and so she was in the hospital for a while and then they sent her over to assisted living and told us that she would be there for rehabilitation for four to six weeks. And so we made preparation to make sure that, you know, daddy was cared for and all that during that time. And then we just, I guess we were shocked that things were not progressing the way that we thought they were supposed to, because at the four week mark, she actually passed away and come to find out she had aspirated and developed pneumonia, which is ultimately what led to her death. It was a very short period of time. Yes. Um, I think that was... I wouldn't say that was the hardest part because obviously like losing her was the hardest part, but like how fast everything progressed and she did not really have any previous ailments prior to falling that we knew about at that time. It was shocking. Yeah. Yeah. But when she did go to the rehab center, she looked at daddy and she said, is this my final resting place? So it's almost like she knew that she would never come out of there, Mm -hmm. even though we were, we were clueless. And then the next day she walked, was it 80? And the next day she walked 35 and then she didn't walk after that. 
Now, prior to her going in there, I remember you all telling me that she had not slept in how many days? Like three days? Before right? going into the assisted. Uh, mm -hmm. Gosh, we don't know. We hadn't slept because <laughs> we were in the uh, ER acute care, um, which is like where they put you when there were no, no rooms. Right. Um, and it was flu was very high that year in Knoxville. And that's why they sent her home from the ER in the first place. And then she was at home until Monday when we called the doctor back and said, she's not getting any better. She seems more confused. And they said, take her back to the ER. And so we, Amy and I were on a stretcher, a gurney, uh, and laid there at night and mama would sing or talk <laughs> or fuss, you know, just whatever. But yeah, it was it was a long week for us. And then she got moved to a room and then they said, okay, they came in at nine o'clock that morning and said, she's got to be out by three because um, insurance reasons. Well, and they needed the bed. Yeah. We hustled with daddy and went and tried to find a place for her to stay. And the Lord provided. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were really good to her. They were good to her. They were very good to her. So, could you, if you feel comfortable, could you share kind of what your grieving process was like? Because obviously that was like a really quick turnaround, but also you didn't really have a lot of a break in between that and what happened about a year and a half later, correct? It was actually a year late, two, two days short of a year from when mama died that we found out that daddy had terminal cancer. Would you like to share a little bit about that? Well, Amy ended up taking leave from her job before mama died. And then after mama died, she, you know, extended her FMLA and she became daddy's caregiver. And then once daddy got sick and the doctor said, you've got two months to live. And they said, he cannot be alone. Mm -hmm. We took turns every other day. I was there. She was there every other day. And I was fortunate that in my job, I'm able to say, I can work this day. I can't work this day. So I was fortunate to be there. I was fortunate to be there. I know this sounds weird, but I was fortunate to be there when both of my parents took their last breath. And it was difficult. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. That's the hardest thing. It's like Amy was talking and she said, um, you know, they were there when we took our first breath. And we were there when they took their last. So I know that within like from the time that uh, Mia fell to the time that Pa passed. That was about a sixteen about, months. Sixteen months. So very quick, very quick turnaround, and that was a lot on both of you. Both of you still had children that were living at home at the time. Yeah, because both of your youngest are about six months apart. So both of your boys were thirteen, fourteen at the time. Yeah, eighth grade. They were very young. And so, and then John Tyler was a senior or he had just graduated? He, uh, he had been out for a year when mom and dad. Okay. So very close, very young. Um, I was in, I was away at school. Well, I had just finished college and then I had just gotten married shortly, three weeks after. Three weeks after mom and dad. Right. So there's a lot of things that happened. In your lives on top of losing your parents but lots of grief 
lots of compounding things, right? So yeah. it never felt like you could walk through one thing yeah. at a time, right? It felt like just probably like a tsunami of exactly. emotions at different times. So how would you say that from that time to now, what would you say your, your grief journey has been like? I know both of you are very different, but similar in some ways, right? Because you still feel the same emotions and feelings. But would you mind sharing steps that you had in your journey? Maybe. I will. Okay. So um, after Mama died, we have a grief share program at our church. And so Dan was like, I think you should go. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I went and I really, really was not able to do that at that time. I went one time and it was just a room full of people who had all experienced loss from various time periods, whether it was many years to, you know, days. And it was just a lot to take on because I still was grappling with it myself. And I just thought, I can't listen to all this other, cause I wasn't prepared to deal with it. So I stepped back and didn't do anything for a while. I mean, I pretty much just shut myself off. And then whenever daddy passed away that at that point, Dan was like, I'll go with you. And, um, Dan is my husband, by the way. Um, <laughs> and so we went, we went to every session and every session was hard. Mm-hmm. It's almost like physical therapy on your body. Whenever you have to go and you have to work something out, like it hurts when you're doing it, but then it gets a little bit better and a little bit better. And so it wound up probably the six, there's 12 sessions, about the sixth session in, I, it was like there was a turnaround. And I felt like at that point, God was speaking to me. And up until that point, I had been closed off to everything. Like I quit going to church. I was not involved. I quit singing in the praise team. Like there was a lot of things that I felt like I needed to go through because I could not, I felt like at that time, being very honest, I couldn't sing about a good God because I didn't feel that he was good to me at that, in that time. Yeah. I was very angry and bitter. I felt like I had been cheated and my kids had been cheated at their parent, their grandparents. And so it was hard for me to, to sing about something that I didn't feel, even though yeah. I was raised and had a faith in God, I was <clears throat> really struggling with how to deal with it. And people don't talk about grief. They're like, Oh, I lost so-and-so and it's bad, but nobody ever really wants to deal with it. And I feel like, more than anything, I've learned that you have to address it because if you don't address it, it will continue to resurface and it will get worse and worse, you know. And so having gone through the grief counseling, a grief share, that really was really important. And I think it helped me a whole lot, probably more than anything. And then a friend of mine that I used to work with gave me these books called Journeying Through Grief. And so they're like four little booklets that you get throughout the first year of the loss of somebody. And those spoke to me probably better than anything, just because it's something that I could read on my own. It was personal and I could read it as I wanted or not. And so now actually that's something that I use. It's a ministry. And so whenever somebody's going through something, I give them, like I've, I actually just ordered a bunch more sets and I give those to people who are struggling with loss. And so it's actually been therapeutic for me because I've been able to share with them what ministered to me when, when nothing else would like songs would minister to me. I could read my Bible some, but I I was in search of books that dealt with people who were going through grief. You know, I remember reading 
a book about a woman who she was a pastor's wife and she, they, they had a little girl that was, had leukemia and she died at the age of nine. She knew at the age of two that she had leukemia. She just knew this, that God was going to restore this, this mm -hmm. baby's health. Well, he did, but not in the way that she thought. And so he actually took her when she was nine years old and that pastor's wife struggled really just to make sense of it all. And she was angry and bitter for a lot of years. And she said something that they told her, this man told her in the receiving line was heaven's gains are sorrows. And she said, in that moment, I felt like I was seen. Like everybody thought that, you know, you should be rejoicing that your child is in heaven and not suffering. And yes, she was. And in the same sense, her earthly sense was, I'm a grieving mother who doesn't have a child anymore. And so it helped her to understand that somebody saw her for her pain and so that was really, you know, eye-opening for me. I thought, you know, it's okay to be angry. It's okay because God's a big God and he understands that anyway. Mm -hmm. We need to be honest with our feelings so that we could process and go through that. So, I mean, looking back, there's been lots of ways where I've seen God work things out, but it's a process that I had to go through myself. Nobody mm -hmm. could walk through it with me. I mean, they were there, but I actually had to do the work. Right. It sounds like through your pain, the Lord has given you like a ministry in a way to minister to other people that you might not have been able to mm -hmm. um, if you hadn't walked through that. Obviously, like we don't want to walk through difficult things. We don't want to, you know, experience um, the brokenness of the world. But sometimes he can use that. You know, what Joseph said in... Um, the end of Genesis, you know, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Obviously, <laughs> very different circumstances, but he can use our hurts and our pains to. I think one of the things that I struggled with a lot was I was so caught up in my own grief that I didn't realize that my kids were hurting. And that that's regret that I have because I can't get that back. But at the same time, I see how God's working that too, because I mean, my sons understand that, you know, I was struggling. They didn't even tell me, they said, well, we didn't want to tell you because we knew you were having a hard time. And I think, what mom doesn't know that their son is coming home drunk every night, you know, mm -hmm. to struggle to go through this. But in that, God has restored him too. That's great. So, I mean, God's given us opportunities to minister to him and his friends. So I'm very thankful for that. I can say that now. Yes, for sure. We have to trust that he is sovereign even when we... I love that song. Even when we're not, he's faithful. Uh -huh. Love that song. Yeah. I'm Amy's an open book. I am not. Everything I hold in. Amy's more like mama in that. And I'm more like daddy in that. Very... Whatever. Put your boots on and go on. Right, <laughs> right. Pull your boots up and, and get on. You know, um, I don't share a lot. It's very difficult for me to open up to people because of um, issues in the past that you don't know who you can trust. People you think you can trust and you really can't. So I'm, I'm the person who shuts down, stuffs it down as far as it'll possibly go. And... Um, then eventually, you know, it'll erupt, <laughs> you know, which isn't always good because it sometimes it erupts on people that don't deserve it. But um, other times they do. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, you know, let's be honest. So 
I did go um, and see a counselor for a little while. Um, I did the opposite of what Amy did. Um, when she wasn't going to church, I was being involved in everything because the busier I was, the less I had to think about it. Because when I was alone with my thoughts, they were overwhelming and too much for me to handle. Yeah. So like I said, both handled it very different, <laughs> but that's why they make great sisters <laughs> because they both understood. Um, well, when one is down, the other one is not. And so you, it literally, like when I was having a hard day, she was able to manage. And then we, it's almost like it would swap. It would flip flop. So it was totally a God thing. We needed each other. Right. For sure. We couldn't have made it through without each other because even though our husbands were loving and supportive, you know, it was, I've been there her whole life. She's been there almost all my life. And mama used to always say, I wish I'd just get along better. And I remember, <laughs> I remember sitting at the graveside one day and I told mama, I said, you know, Amy and I are getting along better, but you didn't have to die just so we would get along better. <laughs> you know, but it's funny. We're so much alike even more than we ever uh, thought down to how we like our food. <laughs> Both of you were raised in church mm -hmm. your whole life. Also been raised in church my whole life. And uh, you both have found communities in different church homes mm -hmm. that ministered to you during this time. Uh, were you kind of over involved? Amy stepped back. But your church community was still present. Would you all like to share a little bit about what that was like? I I know sometimes like when you're walking through something, you're not able to step back and see, oh, so-and-so was here for me. They came when I, I could only see my situation, right? And that person was trying to reach in and care and love on you. Share a little bit about what it was like for your church communities and maybe even there are other people outside of your church communities that came alongside of you. Well, my Sunday school class was phenomenal. They, uh, they came to visit daddy. Nobody really knew a whole lot about what was going on with mama. They just knew she was sick or she was in the hospital or she was in rehab because she was private in that way. Mm -hmm. So we respected her privacy in that. But also it was like super quick. It was, it was really quick. It was really quick with daddy. Uh, my Sunday school teacher and his wife would come and <laughs> they would even watch wrestling with him <laughs> <laughs> and they would bring him uh, a milkshake uh, from the cookout or whatever he wanted. Uh, and, you know, our Sunday school, our Sunday, my husband, and I, our Sunday school class, they, um, they were there for us. Uh, we knew we could call on them to uh, pick up our youngest son from school or uh, to, you know, just to call and say, hey, you know, um, I'm not going to be there today uh, because of this, that or the other. They came alongside of us. They were at both funerals. They were at the receiving of friends and came early and uh, stayed the whole time. And they, they were just present. They were just present. They didn't have to say anything. They were just there. And that meant everything. And then um, one thing, I, I'm probably jumping ahead of your questions, but one thing that um, I found 
is that because of losing mama and daddy in such a short amount of time together, when my friends who I was in school class, when they were losing their parents, I was able to be there for them. I got to reciprocate that love and kindness that they showed to me. Because you saw a different side. Absolutely. You don't know. I mean, people die every day. All hours of the day. And and you don't know until you've walked in those shoes. You can say, oh, I'm sorry if you're lost. But until you feel it, mm-hmm. you don't know. Right. And I had a friend of mine, uh, she and I worked together. And she told me, she said, I'm so sorry. Because I told you I was sorry for your loss. But I thought you would, you know, just get up and go on. And yet, I didn't know how much you were struggling until I lost my family. You know, you really, you don't know what other people walk through. I think that both of us, or we can all agree that what also affects how someone walks through grief depends on how the relationship was with that person prior to losing them. Because you and I both know people who've lost both of their parents and their relationship was not the same as what yours were with me and Pa. And they, their grief journey looked a lot different. Mm-hmm. Than what yours did, so I think that also plays a a role in your grief walk as well. If you weren't close to that person to begin with, it's not going to be as detrimental because your doesn't change your life really. You know, mm-hmm. whereas your all's lives were pretty drastically changed, right? We were very entwined. So we talked about what it was like for your community to be there. Amy, would you like to share about what it was like for your community to walk alongside you and your family during that time? Um, Well, my pastor, who's a pastor of about a thousand people, calls me and says, well, Amy, (laughs) me and Debbie want to fix you some dinner for your family, you know. So uh, I thought that spoke volumes because, I mean, he's a senior pastor of this large church and he's, he is bringing me food to my family when he, in turn, his his mom is living with him and has Alzheimer's. And so mm-hmm. they have their own, you know, struggles. And yet he's still serving other people. So I thought that spoke volumes of, of them. It really meant a lot to me. And then, too, like with me, where I had kind of distanced myself from everything, I shut myself out. It wasn't that people weren't seeking to help me. It was that. I didn't know how to receive it because I was just in such a dark place. I mean, when mama died, I, I died pretty much. I quit living, didn't leave the house much, didn't do anything, didn't talk to anybody. You know, I was always the jovial friend that everybody wanted to hang with. And all of a sudden nobody knew what to do with me. So they just kind of were like, "Mm." (laughs) so, um, um, but that was one of the things that Dan told me was that, you know, you, this was your way of controlling the situation. You know, Mm -hmm. if you stayed at home, you didn't have to answer any questions about how you're doing or, you know, if a song moved you, you didn't fall apart in front of all the people. You know, I'm always outgoing and want to be out there. But then all the emotion just was overwhelming to me. And I didn't know how to handle that in a big group. So I didn't go. Uh, I saw the Lord in, like I said, the books about grief and dealing with that. That also referenced scripture. Saw the Lord in um, music because that speaks to me more than anything. Mm -hmm. But then um, one of the things that really stuck out to me when you talk about people serving is my neighbor, Sylvia, 
you know, she grew up with daddy, mm. but um, she, she would go and she would sit with mama so we could go and do something, or she would go and sit with daddy so that we could do something, you know, whether it was to go to the store or just have a, a dinner with our own family, because, you know, we were living out of their home instead of our homes. And so it was, it was like everything had just been uprooted, but there were people who really made an effort to reach out to us and, and serve our family. That's awesome. I think that's a big reason why I and Christian both felt like this podcast is very necessary is because we don't brag on our faith communities enough about them being the body of Christ, like what we're supposed to be and what we're called to be. I love to hear when the church does what the church is supposed to do and they're honoring to the Lord for their own people. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think, Fortunately, the church gets bad rap sometimes, right? Um, but it's broken people <laughs> trying right. to uh, come alongside other broken people. So obviously there's going to be lack, you know. I mean, obviously it would be great if they could come in, clean your house, feed, <laughs> feed your family, do all the things you need them to do, or be there to sit with you. But sometimes, like, you need time by yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to be alone, even though it would be nice for somebody to be there with you. But even in that lack, the Lord provides through his presence and he provides through their presence too. You know, it's a, and I think too, sometimes whenever, like when I think about people kind of not coming near, it might be that they don't understand or they don't know the right words to say. Right. And sometimes they don't have to say anything. I mean, to know that somebody's praying for you when you feel like you can't pray for yourself, mm. that says a lot. Mm. That's good. And the other thing too, is that uh, referencing back to what Christian and Ann talked about, how that she didn't have to say a word. She just sat there. Just your presence is huge. I don't need you to talk to me necessarily but if you'll just sit there and hold my hand or cry with me Mm. put your arm around me let me know you're there that speaks volumes because you don't necessarily have to have all the right words you don't have to have any words at all just be there I think that's hard for people I know like yeah, silence is difficult for people (laughs) yes and but silence is powerful that's Mm -hmm. why teachers use it they they ask a question and then they sit there and they wait for somebody to answer. Um, and silence is difficult for hearing people. Extremely difficult. They feel like they have to speak, that there has to be noise all the time. And there doesn't. I will say that, like, I love silence. Now, as a teacher, there's constant overstimulation all day long. <laughs> But like I, people are like, why do you get up at 4.30? Because I love to have the silence, the quiet time to get my life right. As my friend would say, you got to get your life right. But I do because it's a mission field that I have to go out to every day. And so I enjoy that time to just, just me and Jesus sitting still before the Lord, preparation for the day. Yeah, that's something in our, uh, in my class I've been taking in seminary when we went over silence and solitude, they're like, this is, this might be the hardest thing for people because <laughs> it is. We just constantly 
either our mind is constantly going or we're filling our mind with something. We're never just still. And it's hard for us to do that. But we see throughout scripture that Jesus would get away with the Lord. And that was before modern technology. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he was still like, y'all are too much for me. I'm going to need some time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think that's very powerful. Uh, Amy, you mentioned earlier that there are songs and scriptures that really spoke to you um, during that time. I know both of you are very anchored in your faith, even when your faith has been shaken. Um, Your faith your faith was still there, which is a blessing um, because not everybody experiences that. Um, Would you like to share what are some verses of scripture that spoke to you all during that time or music? Um, Let me preface this really quickly. So like this one particular day, I was in Marshalls and it was in the springtime. It was right after mama had passed away and it was in March April, something like that. And they had all their spring decorations out and they had like these birdhouses. And there was, that was when the shabby chic was coming really, you know, full strong. And, and so this birdhouse looked tattered and torn on the outside. It looked rugged. And I stood there and I started crying and I could not figure what, and it was like, God said, this is the work. This is, this is our lives. We're getting beat up at, you know, all Mm -hmm. this outside, but that we can take refuge in him. If we go into his and in, in his presence, he can protect us. And so I went back to that verse of Psalm 91 8, I think, or 91 4. 91 4 says, He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you'll take refuge. Mm-hmm. And I love that verse. And so that was one of my like key verses to kind of get me through because I felt like my foundation was taken mm-hmm. and my protection was taken. You know, what I'd always known, the constant in my life was no longer there. And so I was shielded by that. And so then when I figured out that really they weren't my foundation, that God was my foundation and that they weren't my protection, that he was my protector, that, you know, then I took refuge in knowing that he was covering me. And so just the symbolism of that, I just loved it. So that was that. And then Psalms, not Psalms, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 31.8. It, yes, I love this one. It says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be de- afraid or uh, dismayed. And I love that verse too because it doesn't matter what it is you're experiencing. If you know that you're walking with the Lord, you know, you're in step with him. He's going to work things out for your good and his glory. And I just loved, like, that's one that I share with people all the time. So those are probably two of my most favorite that I've kind of clung to. Awesome. Would you all like to share any songs that ministered to you during, during that time? During this time? I mean, I love the goodness of God. I love CC Winans version. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like it. Your mercies never fail me. The line of letting all my days I've been held in your hand. Mom, do you have any passages of scripture that meant a lot to you? Psalm 34, 18, really, I held on to that scripture a lot and I use it a lot now. I mean, I've known it all my life that I can remember, but um, it's the Lord is near to the brokenhearted 
He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And like you were talking earlier about the relationship that we had with our parents, our family was never really big. So we just had them and each other. And so when they were no longer here, truly Christian spirit. So yeah, that that verse is one. It's one that I use whenever I speak to other people who have lost family members here in recent days. We talked about people just being silent and being present. Would you say that there were times that people said things to you that maybe were not received very well oh, yeah. during the time. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was meant ill will or, right. you know, malicious. I think they people just say things that they've heard that they think is the right thing to say. Yeah. You know, are you reading your Bible? Or, well, no, I wouldn't read my Bible. I was mad. <laughs> right. I mean, right. I mean, to be yeah. quite frank, and they'd say, well, you need to go talk to your pastor. No, I didn't need to go talk to my pastor because that would, at the time, he didn't want to hear what I was going to say because I was, you know, it, it was not good. And I'm ashamed to say that, but that's where I was. And I remember my choir director said, Amy said, if you're mad at God, tell him he already knows. Right. And I went out and I had a holy hallelujah fit out in the yard and I told him what for. He told me what for. <laughs> but I mean, it needed to happen. Right. I needed to get all of that out in order for me to start putting back positive and good. I think, you know, you got to, you got to get it all cleansed out and it's a process. And oh gosh, people said that word to me. It's a process. I hated that word because that word meant work. I'm like, I don't want to hear that. It's a process. But honestly, it truly is. I mean, like it's, it's not something that's fixed. You know, you go to this Greek counseling or whatever, and you look at all these things and they say, here's your nine steps or however many steps it is that you go through all these phases. And I'm like, check check oh you know and i'm thinking well i'm done well dang it it circles back around and you do it again and it's it, you know when you say process it's a continual thing you know you talk about the renewing of your mind you have to commit that every day you know is this going to be the day that i'm going to hold it together is this going to be the day that i'm going to use it for good is this going to be a day that i fall apart and i'm not worth it i'm you know i mean it's just you have to decide how it's going to how you're going to go through your daily processes, you know, and there's days you wake up and it's gloomy and you think, Oh, I mean, you feel that way from the time you wake up, you look outside and you think, well, you know, it's, it's going to be a bad day. And my husband's like, why do you say that? I'm like, well, it's just gray outside. And he's like, well, that doesn't mean it's going to be a bad day. And you know, what's interesting is I tell my students, I'll say, you decide what kind of day you're going to have. I say this to them all the time. Are you going to let this one instance ruin your day? No. So sometimes the teacher becomes a student. (laughs) All right. So we've talked about how your communities were there for you all, how they walked alongside of you. You all have mentioned a couple ways that you saw the Lord's hand just through other people or whatever. Is there any other thing that you would say, Amy, you had a thing you would say a lot that this was a, was it a God wink? Is that, was that a God kiss? A God kiss. Are there any of those that really just stick out to you that you would like to share? Something very simple, but like, honestly, like I told you about the feathers, you know, that cover you with his wings. I would see feathers everywhere. Like I would see a feather laying on a sidewalk and I'd be, okay, so that's, you know, I'm not alone. Like I, <clears throat> I would pick it like, I collected feathers. My husband's like, we're going to have bird mites in the house. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have a box of feathers. I even have feathers on my dash in my car. I don't know why it, this fixation on feather, but the, that verse of he will cover you with his feathers. And I would see them everywhere. Or somebody would say something to me about my mama. And I would be like, like they'd say, you smile all the time. You know, your mama always smiled. And that just melted my heart because I thought, you know, I want to be like that. Or people would, you know, they would send me um, little cards in the mail that said, I was thinking of you, you know, just sweet little things that you, you know, we take for granted lots of times Absolutely. until we're on the receiving end. And so I think God has shown me to love other people better through this whole thing. Yeah. This week, we were able to do a Thanksgiving dinner for my son's friends who didn't, they weren't raised in homes like we were. So they didn't have parents who were missing them. You know, they had dads in prison. They had moms on drugs. They, you know, they lived with their grandparents. Just a lot of struggling things. And God said, you need to have them over for dinner. That is totally out of my comfort zone. <laughs> but I did, and he used that. And I know he used it. When I just lost his sister to a drug overdose, and he's struggling. Yeah. And I want to be able to use my grief that my experience to be able to encourage somebody. And so I see these are God kisses now that he's giving me. I'm getting the other side of it. So it's very sweet. If you could share something with other faith communities that maybe they have um, someone in their congregation that's walking through the loss. I mean, it could be really a loss of anyone in their family, but Maybe some, maybe they find themselves in a similar situation. What is some encouragement that you would like to give to those communities of faith? My pastor, there's a lady right now at my church. Her grown daughter, 36 years old, died in the car wreck suddenly a month or so ago. She's in my Sunday school class. And I remember my pastor telling me this, but he said, when you don't know the next thing to do, do the next right thing. And so even though, you know, it doesn't feel right to, you know, keep doing because you, you feel out of sorts, do what you know to do is the next right thing and to keep doing it. Even when you don't feel like it, keep doing it. And that's one of the things that I've actually seen this lady do. She, you know, she, it's hard for her every Sunday. She struggles. I see it on her face. She's broken, but she's there every Sunday. And I just, I'm so proud of her. I told her, I said, she's actually ministering to me mm. because I did the opposite. Right. Send that card. The first, everybody say, everybody says that the first are the hardest. That is so true. Can you elaborate? The first uh, Thanksgiving without that person, the first Christmas, the first birthday of theirs or your birthday mm -hmm. that they miss. Holidays that you may know uh, if it's their anniversary, if, if you know their anniversary, their wedding anniversary or something that was big in their life, send those cards let them know you're thinking about them. Let them know you're praying for them. You know, you may not get the opportunity to see them that week, but yet those that first year is terribly difficult. So, you know, just send a card. Say, hey, thinking about you, praying for you. Something I think 
people have a hard time with is long-term grief. You just mentioned the first year is the hardest. I'm not going to say it's, everybody says it's the hardest, but I'm not sure it is the hardest. Sometimes a couple years later, it hits you right in the face. It literally took me about three and a half years, three and a half years before I started coming to terms with things a little bit better. So we talked about not everybody is able to walk their grief within a year. People think, why aren't you getting over this? Or why aren't you over it yet? I think that people think, oh, well, it's been six months or it's been a year that grief is individual it's not cookie cutter it's not one size fits all um each person you have the stages of grief and they all sneak up on you at different times and they can sneak up on you because the sun's shining a certain way or you smell a certain smell or um you eat a certain thing or you hear a song and it it'll cause it just to be right there in the forefront of your mind again. Grief is not, oh, well, you should be over it already. Never say that to anybody. That's the worst thing you could say to anybody is, well, it's been this long because you don't know, even though you may have experienced grief a certain way, you don't know what that other person is experiencing. I think that goes back to how close were you to the person prior. Family dynamics just are different for everybody. Maybe certain times of the year make it harder. Approaching certain time, like dates, you mentioned birthdays, anniversaries, anniversary of loss. Even um, the change of weather sometimes. Interesting. Yeah. This fall has been very difficult for me. So what would you say to a community that has... Um, individuals in it that maybe they lost a loved one several years ago. Um, Amy mentioned outside of our recording that there was someone she knew that still struggled with stuff they never worked through for 15 years. I mean, like it can really be a deep thing that some people go through and then some people, maybe they are able to process a little bit faster it can be debilitating, and that's exactly where the devil wants you, where he, he keeps you from doing what your purpose was intended. Because if he keeps you caught up in yourself, then you don't see anything else. So would you encourage those faith communities to, if they think about that person, send them a message and tell them that they're thinking about them, or to send a card? I think, little like, what are some little things that people could do for individuals that they know are still struggling. I mean, what you both have walked through, you still have hard days. I mean, that's just normal. That's your new normal, I guess. Um, sometimes you just have a hard day. So what would you say, like, just to be intentional to think about those yes. people? Yes, absolutely. I think intentionality is something that we lack sometimes, even in the church. We go to church. Hi, nice to see you. Okay, yeah. bye. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but we, I've heard it said before, sometimes community doesn't follow you home after church. What's supposed to be your community doesn't follow you home after church. And again, I don't think that that's in, I don't think that that's because they don't care. I think that people are just so caught up in their own lives that they don't, but it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Right. 
it's not that they don't care. It's that they are, you know, everybody is so busy. And that, again, that's where the devil wants you. He wants to keep you so busy that you can't attend to the things that are eternal and most important that you can invest your time in, which is people, because that's why we're here anyway. I think that's very, very true. It's very true. And th- once again, that's another reason we want to do this is to kind of bring that to the forefront of someone's mind. Maybe while they're listening right now, somebody at their church comes to their mind, or maybe they're going to have somebody in their church walk through something similar in the days and weeks ahead. I always feel like when people lose people around the holidays, it like makes it amplified even more so. Last question for you both. What would you say to someone who finds themselves walking through a similar season of life that you both have walked through? It's okay. Feel the grief. Experience the grief. Lean into the Lord because he is near to the brokenhearted and he will lift you up. He understands if you're mad at him and it's okay to tell him you are. Well, I want to say thank you both for being willing to share. I have had a front row seat a little bit to your grief journeys. And um, I just want to um, say thank you just for your willingness to be open and vulnerable. And it encourages me to see God's faithfulness in both of your lives. I think that he is going to use what you all have to say through this and through your own communities to bring him glory even in your in your hurt and so i just wanted to say thank you for being willing to open it i'm going to close us in prayer dear heavenly father i thank you just for who you are god even in our pain that we could have never pictured ourselves walking through God, you have been there. And we thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness when we are faithless. Lord, thank you for the legacy of those that you have placed in our lives that continue to impact us today. I thank you for my grandparents and um, how they cared for their children and how... um, they sought to honor you and I thank you that their children now seek to honor you and what they do. And uh, we love you and we thank you just for what you're going to do through the lives of um, my mom and my aunt. And I pray that this podcast would touch someone's heart, would challenge the community member who maybe wants to love someone in their community better. And hearing this has um, stirred up a way they could serve and love on those during a hard time.